Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of the Leadership Tales podcast. Today I'm joined by Brad Shawkent. Now Brad and I go way back, South African-based consultants who introduced me to Experience Point, design thinking. He was working on a, a, an incubator, which we'll talk about today at that time. What's interesting about this conversation you're going to listen to is how many other threads there are in terms of the, the linkage uh, from myself and Brad through to the Biz Group and Hazel and the work there to Liz Wiseman, Multipliers, brilliant book, brilliant work and thinking, um, and through to Lifestyle um, and how he's thinking about his life now, intentionality around that, and his book and his work on the workplace, which again is so relevant now uh, today. And again, some of the stories that we go into here could have spent many hours talking in depth about his work and his experience in there. So looking forward to hearing what you think. Here's Brad Shogand. So Brad, welcome to the Leadership Tales podcast. I'd love to to get you to tell your story to the people listening because you and I have connected over many years. And it's quite an amazing story. Interesting background, sir. Tell us about it. Let me thank you. Great to be here. Um, I think we've been chatting about having this conversation for a very long time. Um, so excited to be having it uh, for the podcast, that is. So yeah. I think a good place to start yeah. with story is, um, is as a youngster, I was all I wanted to do was be a professional soccer player. I played soccer very seriously. And um, it was all that lit me up. But I was very much an outsider. I didn't want to participate in conversation, in education. I'm an extreme introvert. And um, soccer gave me an opportunity to express mm. myself without having to speak to people much. And um, I was very fortunate to travel overseas uh, in, my, in my youth into Europe and play football in Europe when I was a teenager. But then school finished and I had to make a decision uh, what am I going to do now? And this is, I mean, we're talking about the late 80s, mid to late 80s, um, where we didn't have the same mm. opportunities now that, that we have in professional sports. And so I made a choice to get educated. My family didn't have money for me to travel and pursue big things. And um, I studied architecture, became an architect, left architecture mm. school and, and did what architects do, went about building a, a big practice and ran around the world designing cool buildings and cool spaces. And it was a very, a very privileged time. I was very fortunate to have great opportunities to, to do amazing things and meet amazing people. But what was really unfolding during those years, and that was 16 years. I practiced, I ran my practice for about 16 years. But what was unfolding was a hmm. relentless appetite for entrepreneurship. And at the same time, what was unfolding was a reluctance to lead, but I didn't know about it. Um, because I wanted to be creative. Remember, I was an introvert. Mm. I didn't want to be having to lead people and, and direct people and coordinate. And, and I hate admin. I'm not an admin person either. But I was now having to run a business, and I had an incredible business partner. Join the club and, there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, to cut a very long story short, we, we got involved in a lot of other businesses during the, 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 the primary focus of the architecture practice. We, we built a portfolio of 10, 11, 12 businesses in various different sectors, in, in retail, in consulting, in construction, in, in music, in entertainment. Um, I could go on. And um, there was a delusion. The delusion mm. was if we, if we start and build lots of businesses, we'll make lots of money and we'll retire in our 30s because it's that easy. <laughs> and uh, what we didn't realize was that businesses need to yep. be led. 
businesses need systems and structures. Businesses have human mm. beings in them. By default, I was leading the architecture practice very well. Um, we had very low uh, attrition. People liked to be there. We, we built a little bit of a family, which, um, which I, I question that analogy as well now because most families that I know are dysfunctional. We were highly functional as a, mm. as a business. And then I got to a point where I didn't want to do that anymore. I, um, I didn't want to be leading. I was feeling like I wasn't growing. I was feeling like I wasn't impacting. And I wanted to do something more meaningful in the world than just build monuments to myself, which is what architects largely do, even though the client thinks it's for them. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's what I wanted to do. And um, I decided to do a little bit of a personal development process. I went into a, a workshop and um, I started studying consciousness purely to learn a little bit about myself and how I functioned. And um, it was like somebody had taken a big, huge, thick book and smashed me over the head and was like, wake up. And um, so I decided <laughs> to continue with the educational process. And that one weekend workshop became a year-long journey into qualifying as a consciousness coach. I still didn't know that that was going to become my, my career uh, or part of my career. And uh, what happened then was I made a decision one day. I said, I'm, I'm done. I just don't want to do architecture anymore. And one day I was sitting at, um, in a coffee shop and I decided to go and walk around. This is, was at the um, RMB, is the bank in Johannesburg here in Santon. I decided to go and walk around the, uh, the buildings. I was having a coffee downstairs. And this is before the days where buildings were locked up tight with security and tags and guards. And I was simply knocking on doors mm. saying, surely there must be some coaching of sorts that happens here. And um, I stumbled upon a coaching center. And that's where the people development work happened. Mm. The person who ran the center, her name is Lisa. She liked my profile. She liked the fact that I wasn't conventional. I hadn't come from a corporate environment. I was this ferocious entrepreneur. Um, and I had done different things. And I had a little bit of an attitude that, that might have resonated with their leaders. And she gave me a chance. And um, I started working with a couple of the leaders, and that was a pivotal moment. I do a talk um, that I call Moments in Time. There are moments in time in our lives where we're not taking a detour. We are literally being turned in a different direction completely. And this was a moment in time for me because with the work I was doing with the bank, I got introduced into various other uh, areas of focus that I didn't have any awareness of prior to this. One of the leaders that I was coaching asked me to sit and observe a session with her and her team, which was a design thinking workshop. Now, you know where that landed me up. Um, I started yeah. knocking down the door of That's the guy. <laughs> His name is James, <laughs> really? who uh, was delivering this workshop. And I said to him, how do I get my hands on this? And he was like, no, everybody wants it. I'm the only guy who does it. I've got the license. And, um, and he, he was really quite irritated because everybody was hassling him. And But I don't know how to give up easily. And mm -hmm. so... Um, I kept on banging down his door. And then I received an email from a company in Dubai, um, the Biz Group, inviting me to go and do a, um, a facilitation training. And I, was, I, I said to them, well, what is this? And they said, talk to James. And James had referred me on to Experience Point um, as a potential facilitator, facilitation partner. And um, I said to him, well, cool, what's this going to cost me? And this was an interesting moment. He said, nothing other than your plane ticket. I have to pay for you. He said, the rule there is if I want to refer you, I've got to back you. And that was an interesting moment. I learned so mm -hmm. much in that moment about 
taking a, a chance on somebody and he was prepared to take a chance. And um, we've had an incredible work. We still to this day, we still work together. We collaborate, we brainstorm, we partner on projects. I went off to Dubai and this is where my world expanded massively because the training into design thinking, the exposure to an incredible global organization um, like the Biz Group and Experience Point uh, were, were profound learning moments and relationships to have in terms of just the value people can bring into your world. And then another critical moment, um, while I was in Dubai, they gave me a book to read overnight, which is called Multipliers. And they said to me, what do you think of this? We, we're thinking of bringing this into our suite mm -hmm. of products. And I read it through the night and I felt like, again, like somebody had bashed me over the head with, with, with this book because I thought, wow, if I had just known some of this while I was leading, I would have been a very different leader. And the experience the people I was working with would have had would yeah. be very different. And that's where it it all just started, really. It, it was a uh, multipliers then became a significant, significant part of my world. Um, I got to work on occasion closely with Liz Wiseman, who's the author, um, and spend time with her, having my brain pick, picking her brain. And over dinner in Joburg uh, a few years back, Liz actually said to me, you do know that you've facilitated more um, multipliers training than anybody else in the world, even me. She said, you've taught more wow. people than I have at that point, which was quite amazing. Um, and I've run around all over the world teaching mm. this, which has been incredible. And that then catalyzed me into, I've got my own things to say. I've got my own work that I want to get out there. Uh, the, the work that Liz had created is so brilliant in terms of the behaviors um, that we demonstrate and that we display in our leadership environments. But what got my attention is what about the environment? And that's when I decided to do research into mm -hmm. the environment that creates whether we are going to be able to or not lead like multipliers or make it easy or difficult. And so I started reaching, uh, researching what are the, the, the experience touch points that great organizations around the world obsess about, invest in and get right in order that people can be multiplied uh, and not diminished. And that created my first um, published work, which is called We Are Still Human and Work Shouldn't Suck. And the title actually came out of sitting with Liz. Um, she said to me, well, what, mm -hmm. what's this book all about? And I told her it was about, and she said, that's as good a title as any. <laughs> and it's just exploded into yeah. so many different areas of impact. Um, my career now, to close out this little short story of my journey, that I've now been doing this for 18 years um, I did architecture for 16 mm -hmm. years. It was a couple of year overlap while I was studying and educating myself a bit more or transitioning. The big difference is with architecture, I felt like I was, felt like I was done. I wasn't growing, as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. Here, I feel like I'm just warming up. There is so much work to do, so much learning in this space, so much yeah. impact to have in the human space, the employee experience space, the leadership space, the relevant space. And the world that we're in now has, there's so much that's gone on that's created cracks and opportunities and gaps for even more, um, impact for mm -hmm. the likes of ourselves, the work we do. I've had opportunity through this journey to become faculty at, at leading global business schools at, at Duke, um, which is one of the number one business school in the world and at Gibbs, which is number one in Africa. And, um, work with mm. academics and, and supremely smart, smart people. And this is why I feel like my journey is just beginning uh, in this space. I'm still a relentless entrepreneur. Um, I have <laughs> honed my legs, however. Uh, all of those businesses that Charles, Charles was my ex-business partner in the architecture practice. 
all of those businesses that we got involved in, we exited when I got out of the practice. Uh, we sold most of them. We closed one mm-hmm. and we gave one to our employees. There were lessons there. Now, when I get involved in a business, I'm very deliberate. I get involved in businesses that I can be passionate about. Obviously, there's always a commercial angle. For, for, I mean, we're business people because mm-hmm. I understand what I can do with money. Money allows me to travel. Money allows me to educate myself further. And money allows me to invest and make a difference where I see opportunities to change other people's lives. I'm not a, I'm not a material person. I don't buy stuff. I'm not a collector of shoes and jackets and watches and technologies. Mm-hmm. I rather collect experiences and I rather choose to make a difference. I focus on five areas just to sum it up. Leadership, innovation, strategy, culture, and employee experience. Those are the five lanes, and they all intersect with each other the whole time. I'm never doing just one thing. I don't believe you can. So when I get involved in other businesses, I look for things I can have fun with. So um, property at the moment, I'm dabbling with a property idea. I am a partner in a fashion business. Um, I've recently designed my first Mm -hmm. men's fashion line just before COVID. And that was me tapping into my creativity again. It didn't go live. I held back because... COVID was the wrong time to be launching clothing unless it was slippers and pajamas. I invest in businesses and I participate in businesses other than my main and still human, um, which is my workplace consulting advisory, because I think it's really important to be in business as opposed to just running a business that is a consulting business. By being in other businesses, by being in the fashion industry, by being in property, by being in uh, co-working, some of the others, I'm looking at maybe a food opportunity. Um, I get to have a very different perspective from just being a coach, speaker, facilitator. And that is one of the things that my clients love about me is that I, I, mm. we, we, we think business, not coach and coachee. Uh, well, that's the feedback I get. I believe that's what they love. That's, I've run out of oxygen. That's my intro. <laughs> and that's another way, a place I want to go, because I want to talk about your your treks into the mountains, but uh, we'll come to that in a, a second. I just want to, I want to draw some red threads through here. So, you know, I didn't realize that you'd worked with Hazel Biz Group. So I didn't know that was a connection. I know you're the experience point. It's fascinating when you do these conversations, you might've <laughs> had a relationship with somebody for ages, but then you don't realize what else is in there. I didn't know the Liz yeah. Wiseman connection. Cause again, multipliers, for those who don't know, Liz Wiseman's book is about multipliers, diminishers, that had a profound effect on me. I think it's one of the the works I would keep going back to uh, in sure. what I do. And again, talking to Hazel the other day, and she's still meeting with Liz and working with her. So I think there's some work in there. I think there's also some other things that come through in this consistently. One is practice leader. So actually doing the business stuff so that you can share with leaders what you've done is a is a link that we have, um, and I love that. But I want to come back into the deeper work on you because, one, for those listening who are saying, what the hell is a consciousness coach? Yeah, just talk to me a bit about the consciousness coach piece because that's quite critical to the understanding of you. Colin, I like how you framed that as the deeper work on you. So there's a, there's a confusion. People think that you go off and study different types of coaching you study to become a business coach, you study to be a relationship coach. And there are specialist lanes that people can go down. But most coaching modalities, when you go and study them, are really about studying the human being. And then you bolt on your specializations, um, whether it's business, whether it's relationship and whatnot. But you need a base. What the consciousness coaching was, was 
as I said, it, it didn't start out with an intention to become a professional or to qualify. It was something that I came across and the first three modules, you don't do coaching at all. You do a deeper dive into you, into your ego, into your identity, into the things that make us tick um, and understanding how we are showing up in the world as human beings. The um, It gets deeply mm-hmm. emotional. You the In the process, they peel away layers of, of trauma, layers of stuff that we carry around with us in our lives that become our 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 conditioning, they become our triggers, they become our habits. They are, they, they live us and they are who we are and who we show up as. And what was really profound about this process was I um, I went into it not knowing what I was getting into. Just somebody said to me, hey, go do this. I thought, you know what? I've never done anything like this in my life before. Mm. Let me see. And I went in with an open mind, fortunately, because it, it, it created the space for me to travel a f- deeper journey. But the work in a nutshell, what consciousness coaching is, is it's about waking up because most people are walking around through their lives like zombies, completely fast asleep on autopilot, doing the same things over and over again because we live in patterns. Our lives are cyclical. We wake up in the morning and go through the cycle of the day. Uh, For people who have families, the cycle looks a certain way. For people who don't have families, the cycle looks a certain way. That's one of the things that I love about my life. I'm not cyclical. Deliberately, I've deliberately created variety of where I am, who I'm with, what I'm doing, because I believe that that energy is what's facilitating constant growth and is keeping me entertained as well in my life, which is important. So consciousness is that wake-up call as to these are the things you do that get in the way of your well-being, your happiness, your success, your relationships, and other people's. And this is how you're showing up in the world. And it's complex. It's definitely not just a, this is what you do, fix it at all. Because we hold on to the things we yeah. know. It's very dangerous and risky and scary to explore maybe doing something different. But the point of that entire process was to learn to experiment and try other things with no attachment to an outcome. And when I got more deeply into this, I realized, well, hold on, I can use this in other ways. And that's why I took that walk that one day. I thought, I understand consciousness now. Um, I can apply this in different environments. And I do. I mean, I weave it now into innovation environments. I weave it into leader. I weave it everywhere. And it was the first qualification that I did that started this trajectory of many, many, many other qualifications um, because there's so much incredible knowledge out there. But consciousness, catching a wake up and choosing to do the work to be to stay more awake and to become more and more awake, understanding we default back all the time. So the less we can slip into Mm. unconsciousness, the more control and influence we have over our lives. And that's ultimately where our happiness is created. Love that. The stay awake piece is is critical, but also the journey, because I'm listening to Sophie's World Audible book at the moment. I don't know if you've ever read it, but it's it's a, a brilliant way of summarizing philosophy. Um, and when you think about it, leadership is the same as philosophy, which is it's had periods and patterns of the way we operate, the way we think, and even the workplaces. You can then say it's so the workplaces are periods and patterns of how we operate. And we're now in this more hybrid world in here. And, and they describe it in this, this clock analogy. So the person who's narrating it is talking about, well, nine o'clock is, you know, uh, is, is going back to the original Stoics. And therefore, go back to one o'clock, you're back into the Greeks. I wanted to pick up that that piece because the staying awake as a leader is a core thing for me. 
And I want to link it into the design thinking because that's another common piece that we have because you were the gift that gave me experience point, that gave me Andrew Webster, that gave me my awakening as a business owner, just going, shit. If we experiment and we we learn fast and we fail, we'll be better. And that was a a critical moment. But you were doing it within an incubator piece as well. So I just want to touch on that piece because that's, that's where you and I share a passion. I remember that conversation so clearly when uh, when I mentioned um, Experience Point and Design Thinker to you. The incubator that I was doing the work in was a business I had founded um, called Seed Engine, and we were a we were one of South Africa's very first startup accelerators for early stage uh, ventures. We had three key criteria: they needed to be scalable, dis- disruptive, and impactful. And we weren't married to them necessarily being technology businesses because South Africa has opportunity way beyond just technology and entrepreneurship, way beyond technology. And we built a facility. We uh, we took a an office space in a very corporate environment here in, in, in the Santon CBD in Johannesburg. And we, we did a typical Silicon Valley gut of the space down to its bare concrete and rough walls. I remember the landlord came past one day and nearly had a stroke at what we had done to the space. And we wanted it to be a, a raw base for entrepreneurs. And then what we did is we, we held a competition and uh, we worked, the co-founders put our own money in. Um, we held a competition and we invited, uh, entrants to come into our accelerator. We, we ran this uh, four programs. Each one was 10 ventures through a 12 week program. So, so talk to me about the, cause it was a 12 week program, Brad. Talk to yeah. me a bit more about the 12 and the 10 ventures. Yeah. Numbers. So. So what was interesting is we had 10 ventures in the program and they were there for 12 weeks. And what I did is I used the design thinking process as the journey map for the way they progressed through the development of their businesses. So, you know, the early stages of of the design thinking method started to have a look at what are the challenges and identifying an environment of challenge that we then go and deeply understand and uh, immerse in to see what are the insights, what's the information we're getting back, what are we learning, what are we observing, and what are, are the insights we gain from that that then present uh, problems and then opportunities. And then we go deep into how do we ideate and create marketable opportunities around those. So I we, we move backwards and forwards along this thread. Um, and the whole point of it was actually to develop their muscle around moving past assumption into what am I actually seeing? What does it really mean? And what is the real opportunity here? So for me, more importantly, or equally importantly to developing businesses that we could get investment in was having entrepreneurs leave our program, having developed a mindset and a method that they could continue to identify opportunities and understand how to convert them. And then we did a lot of work using, again, design thinking principle and practice in how they prepared their pitches because it works the same way um, in how you build a presentation. So it was really important that they could leave there with the ability to position an idea well for investment. And um, this empathy-based, human-centered-based methodology has traveled with me in everything that I do. It's, it's the ground, um, the grounding for every program I build, whether I'm teaching design thinking or not, doesn't matter. It's the way that I approach the way I build things and the way that um, I guide people to think. What was really interesting about that program was that um, many of those businesses are still in existence. They got investment. 
They thrived. We exited the business. We had a, a, a woman's a black female business, which is a big thing in South Africa in terms of diversity, liked what we were doing and they bought mm-hmm. us out. And it was great that we were able to be our own scale up as opposed to just investing in other businesses. We were able to become a business that had longevity. What was really interesting for me, though, was the mm-hmm. diversity that it took to start and build that business. You know, we had me as a, we were all uh, entrepreneurial, but some of us more so than others. So you got to see the risk appetites, but also you got to explore the leadership styles in a very unusual business because the people in our program didn't work for us. We were their partners. We were their investors. We were their mentors. We were their guides. So it was like a reality show. If there were cameras in that space, it was a total reality show, um, which is really interesting point because hmm. yesterday I had a meeting with some uh, heavy-hitting investors in the TV space. I can't say too much, but they now actually are looking to do a similar mm. concept for a reality show in a certain industry sector that I obviously I have an NDA. But but yeah, I'm getting now getting an opportunity to take all of this work. And in the show, my role is I'm going to be the mentor, the business mentor that takes them through a journey while they're getting creative inputs and whatnot. I'm going to be the business coach who helps them take their creative ideas and convert them into businesses. So that's exciting as well. Um, but I've got to do personal development yeah, work with them as it. well. There's, you know, we talk about five systems, but the first one we've touched on is this intentional growth and the consciousness coaching and, you know, staying awake as a leader. The second one you just highlighted is this inspired action, which is, and fresh ideas, which is design thinking. I'm working in that space. I'd love to tie this into the Liz Wiseman and the multipliers diminishes because it links into the workspace um, piece that you you talk about. If you had to summarize that work, and I know it's difficult because it's massive, but if you had to summarize in a few key principles for people listening, and they can dig into it a bit more afterwards, uh, we can find, talk to them about where they can find out more about it. What would it be as a summary of that work? So the Liz Wiseman work, the multipliers work specifically, is it is so simple in its concept. That's what blew me away. It is no rocket science. And Liz herself says that. It's so simple in that there are no neutral moments in any moment of engagement with another human being. And we talk specifically in the work context here, but it applies to life. We have relationships um, whether it's in an educational context or in a community context, family context, the way that you're behaving towards another human being is either accessing them and in the, the multiplies context for their best thinking, accessing them for their intelligence, their natural intelligence, and everybody's got great uh, thinking capabilities, or we are shutting down the access to their intelligence. And it's as simple as that in the way we are behaving towards them or the environment we're creating for them. We're either accessing their intelligence or preventing them from bringing it to the space. A lot of what we do in that context is, well, we do accidentally. We don't even realize we're doing it. And that was the wake-up call for me was when I saw how many things I was doing. Like, for example, I was, I'm a classic know-it-all. This is one of the multiplies terminologies where I've got a lot of knowledge. Hmm. I've studied a lot. I've done a lot. So for me, it's natural to want to put that knowledge into a space with my intention being that I'll help others learn and grow. I'll help them see what to do. But in the moment that I do that, I've just taken away their opportunity to bring their thinking into the space, to maybe bring a different thinking into the space because 
who says that even though I'm the smarty pants that I am, that I'm right. And so mm. it's that construct. And it's not rocket science. And there's a bunch of others around that, but it's a simple two-sided model. There are five key uh, personas that come through in terms of the um, accessing intelligence. And there are five contrasting, mm -hmm. those are the multiplying behaviors, and there are five contrasting diminishing behaviors. Um, so the contrast of the know-it-all is the challenger. So if I changed my behavior there, instead of me always filling the space with my knowledge and my, my intelligence, I'd be conscious, he has that consciousness word again, I'd be conscious to step back and rather be curious, rather ask people some questions, rather access their thinking, make it safe for other people to contribute and see what that does in the space and, and navigate conversations between there's a time when my, my thinking has a place and there's a time when other people's do. Mm -hmm. A good multiplier understands that it's probably a 90-10 ratio, other people's thinking much more than my own unless mine really belongs. So when you start to identify that this is how we might be behaving and every single one of us is a multiplier and every single one of us is a diminisher, um, it's just a case of when and with what intensity, we can then start to do some work around the shifts that we might choose intentionally in our behaviors. And that was what sparked for me the um, stimulated my own, my own book and my own research because what I realized was I was working in organizations all over the world. I mean, I've traveled extensively teaching multipliers and leaders love the work. They usually look upwards and go, mm -hmm. oh, has, have you done this work with my leader? Because I don't get led this way. And then they feed back and say, but the environment that we work in is not conducive for this. It's not how we are performance measured. It's not the way our culture works. And that's where I was, I was intrigued to understand how do we shift those cultures? How do we have an intentionality around the experience touch points that can either make or break the environment to be conducive for multiplying leadership? And um, so a lot of the, the time my work sits beautifully alongside Liz's work. And I position it that way, that if you want to lead like multipliers, you're going to have to do these things in your environment around how we create the, the context for it. Um, and that's where the we are still human and work shouldn't suck narrative came from. And um, Liz is currently, if anyone's into thought leadership, and Liz is the most highly ranked leadership thought leader in the world by her peers and colleagues on the um, thinkers50.com, which is like the, the the Oscars of thought leadership. Liz's work is rated as the best leadership work in the world, uh, and it's something. And that's I'm not mm. taking anything away from all the other great leadership thought leaders at all. There's some incredible work out there, but Liz's journey of uh, 11, 12 years now, it's just climbed and climbed and climbed and climbed and climbed which is unbelievable because it mm. is so powerful. And I, you know, the Liz connection to people like Michael Bungie Stanier and the coaching habits, be more curious. And he, uh, yeah. in his latest book, how to get on with basically anybody is, uh, is, is just out. And he's doing some work with Liz. So I'm with you in that thinking. And, and for me, the, the simple, not scientific approach to Liz for me is critical. How do we give it to people in a way that is simple because leaders nowadays have so much in their life and we could talk about hybrids for another 40 minutes around this and how we live in the hybrid world so therefore giving them simple systems um, and not preaching at them so knowledge speak wisdom lessons is my favorite quote from Jimi hendrix you know wisdom is about listening being curious in those moments yeah. is critical i want to i want to end brad 
if we can around we were having a conversation before we came live uh, on air where you're shifting your world again I, I love the way that you you're not cyclical so you're you're shaking up the world and and you're shaking it up into almost what I would call the the four hour work with Tim Ferriss type principles so you're you're moving and when this goes live you will have moved talk to us a bit about why you're doing that to to give people a, a fresh idea so when this goes live, I may have moved. <laughs> there are a few pieces that need to fall into place. <laughs> yeah, I'm based in Johannesburg and COVID happened. When COVID happened, we, we being still human, were in offices where I'm, I'm sitting here. This is what you're seeing. This is a, the door of a little telephone booth. My Superman cubicle, as I call it. I come in here and become Superman. Um, but it's a pod. I'm in a, in a little soundproof pod in a co-working space called WeWork. I think uh, got them uh, all over the world, and um, we based our offices here. And we want we like being here because there are lots of entrepreneurial businesses and lots of connecting. And we had come here deliberately because previously we were in a um, quite an isolated office, beautiful space, but no one knew we were there. No one saw us. Then COVID happened, and we moved to home, and I loved being at home. Um, I'm an introvert, even though a lot of my work is people facing. And then when we started to emerge back into the world of, call it hybrid, I decided to blend um, where I am, that I'm not in one place or another. So I'm, I bounce between here, which I call my office, home, uh, the business school campus, a couple of coffee shops, and the country club, which is a new lifestyle uh, decision I made. Um, we've got a couple of very exclusive, and that sounds all Lani. I'm not Lani. Um, I go to work in sneakers and a t-shirt and a cap, as you can see. But the country club is a great place to go and focus. And it's a great place to have meetings that is not an office or corporate or a coffee shop for the nature of work that I do. And I decided that I'm going to change the way my business feels. If I'm still human and we are all about work not sucking, then we've got to choose the way we run our own business because otherwise there's no authenticity. And then I recently, I was in Cape, I spent a lot of time in Cape Town, which is, is obviously coastal. Joburg's not coastal. My family is originally from Cape Town. And um, I used to have offices there. I've spent a lot of time there over the years. And every time I'm in Cape Town, literally for the past 52 years, I always say, why do I not live here? I travel anyway for work. Mm -hmm. So um, I can just travel from Cape Town and walk on the beachfront every day and have the quality of lifestyle that my parents had growing up because they moved to Joburg when I was one year old. So I made a decision. I was there in January of this year um, for my birthday. I always get out of town on my birthday. I was in Cape Town and I was on a call with a group of colleagues of mine. We have a little mastermind group and we meet once a month. And in the call, we all had to declare what is our intention for the year? What is the big thing we're going to own for the year? And I came into the call not having made any decisions yet. And sitting in my hotel room, I said, spontaneously said, I'm going to move to Cape Town this year. Hmm. And they were like, okay, where did that come from? And it just came from somewhere in the background. I've been avoiding the conversation forever. Um, and there's, I've had attachments. I'm very privileged to live in a beautiful house here in Joburg in the suburbs that I designed and built for myself while I was an architect. It's five times bigger than I need. I made a strategic decision when I built it or designed it because I'm across the road from three um, of the, the top private schools in, in, in South Africa. And um, so I built a house much bigger than I need so that when I sell it one day, it's a family home. I wasn't going to have a, a kids and all of that. 
but it is very much built for a family use. And um, I've been hanging on because it's the first house I ever designed for myself as an architect. And I just realized, you know what? I'm, I'm, I teach about non-attachment, yet here I am attaching to this pile of bricks, beautiful pile of bricks that I love. And I made the decision. So I went on a mission um, and I've been very intentional over the past few months to find, I'm somebody who likes to own the roof over my head. Um, I've always done that. It's, uh, it goes against all of the good financial advice um, these days to be liquid. I like to own my roof. It's just a safety blanket for me. And I'm choosing now to own a roof in Cape Town instead of Joburg. So this morning, I received confirmation of a transfer. No one else in the world knows this right now. Um, this is the first time I'm describing or discussing it, that I've now taken ownership of a small apartment in Seapoint. It's five and a half times smaller than the property I currently live in. And I can't tell you how excited I am about that. To have no garden, to have no electric mm. fence, to have no security company, to have two two bedrooms. One is going to be an office. One is going to be a bedroom. To have one living room, not four living rooms. To have a kitchen that looks out towards the ocean. And when I make my coffee in the morning, I'm going to go onto the balcony and stare at the sea. And I'm going to walk down to the promenade and walk and listen to the ocean and feel healthy. And, and, just, and I love Johannesburg. I've loved living in Johannesburg. But I feel like now I'm decluttering, I'm downsizing, and I'm choosing life before business. I have not decided. I don't know how my business mm. is going to work when I move. I'm going to work it out. I chose to focus on life first before business. And I'll work it out. So now, and it's just, I'll tell you how synchronous the world is um, or how the, the synchronicity is. This morning I took ownership of this property in Cape Town. This, uh, on my way to this call with you, Colin, I received a phone call from an estate agent to ask me a question about the property next door to me um, because it's sitting empty currently hmm. and she had some questions. Uh, she wanted to know, do I want to buy it? Because she knows I was an, arch was an architect and might I want to knock the wall down and expand my property size? So she's been clever. Talk to the neighbors first. But I mean, it was profound, the timing. This was four hours after I received confirmation that I now own a property in Cape Town. So I said to her, no, in fact, maybe you want to sell my property as well. And um, so, yeah, just the, the synchronicity was profound. So that's a announcement to the world Hello. that uh, I'm changing all of this. So anybody who's looking to buy property in Johannesburg and a really good suburb across the road from the schools, I'm selling one. Um, hopefully by the time this podcast goes live, that property will be sold. Yeah. And anybody who's um, looking for leadership, innovation, strategy, culture, employee experience, facilitation, speaking, coaching um, in Cape Town or anywhere in the world, but Cape Town is where I'm going to be. So that's the first, um, my first marketing pitch of, into the Cape Town market. Right. I'd love that. That seems a good place to, to start to wrap up. So if people want to find you, Brad, about your business, coaching, consulting, design thinking, where would they find you? Best place to do that, Colin, is to go to my website. It's uh, www.stillhuman.co.za. And um, there's a little bit of personal information as well. There's a, I have a personal site if they go to www.bradshawkind.com. So stillhuman.co.za or bradshawkind.com. And I'm also easy to find on LinkedIn, Brad Shawkind. And... Um, very happy to have conversations, to have cups of coffee, to have Zoom calls, and just to talk. Because for me, I'm obsessed with the fact that work shouldn't suck. 
Um, still human <laughs> is now also moving in the road of down the road of hybrid human, because I, I very much believe we need to wake up in terms of hybrid. Um, I am very, I work with a lot of big organizations who have enforced the back to work five day week. And, um, I'm not convinced that's a winning strategy. And I have a lot of provocative no. thoughts around that. So happy to chat it through with anybody who wants to talk. Amazing. I love our synchronous relationship from you introducing me to Experience Point to you knowing Hazel to Liz Wiseman to our conversations to now with me even thinking about my life and where yeah. I want to do what I wanted to, to be and where I want to live that life. It's it's always that we seem to to live in parallels as, as we go. So yeah. Brad, brilliant to talk to you. We're going to end with three questions I always end with. Uh, fascinated to hear your answers on this. So from that amazing journey, and we never got to the 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 mountains that we said we might get to, but if you had to pick one small leadership moment or one small moment that shaped your leadership, what would it be? This, there are many, many, many stories, but one that stands out for me, because this was before I even knew what multipliers was, but um, or what work not sucking was as a concept. I was on a building site in my days as an architect. Yeah. We used to do a lot of retail work and we were building a big um, hairdressing salon. Now, when I say big, I'm talking about this is 16 years ago and this salon in South African currency was a two and a half million rand salon. It was humongous. It was a massive investment. And um, there was a moment where I walked onto the site and I designed all of these very elegant curvy bulkheads in the ceiling Difficult to, to build, but when they were finished, it was, it was just, it, it was, they called it architectural porn was what the, the builder said. Like that's architectural porn. Mm. Um, and I, I arrived on the site on a Saturday morning. We were opening up on the Tuesday following and it was really not well built. And, um, I was under so much pressure because it was a new shopping center opening. The penalties on us were significant. I was covering all sorts of costs if we missed the deadline. And I lost my mind. I picked up a piece of um, ceiling board, a big solid piece of board. And in a rage, this is the diminisher I was, I threw it across the building site. I could have killed somebody. And that's the pressure I was mm. under. And I make no excuse. A wireman pulled me aside. Now, he knew me from the other building sites. His name was Ephraim. He's no longer with us. He must have been 70 at the time. Little guy. And I mean, mm. I'm the boss on the site in, in that context. He pulled me aside. And he took me outside and he said, Brad, he said, you, he said, Mr. Brad, you can't do that. He said, you can't behave like that. He said, we see the pressure that the client puts you under. But he said, you can't, just can't do that. He said, you're not going to get more out of us by doing that. We can only do what we can do. Mm. He said, you're shutting mm. it, you're switching it, shutting us down. And he said to me, I need to give you a warning. He said, the restaurant, we were busy building a big restaurant, um, a huge restaurant in, in a hotel in Santon. He said, they are setting you up. He said, you're going to come to open the restaurant in a couple of weeks. You're going to try and switch on the lights and there's going to be no electricity because it takes a month to wire the restaurant up and it takes one night to pull all the wires out. And they are setting you up hmm. to end your career. I'm telling you, I'm giving you a warning. And I mean, I went cold hmm. because I, that's how bad I was as a, 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 under pressure. And mm. that I was a diminisher. I didn't know it at the time. But the gift that Ephraim mm. gave me, I walked back inside and I went over to the plaster and I said to him, just come and come over, chat with me. And I could see he looked to see, does he have any sharp objects in his hands? Am I safe? 
was, was this guy's body language? Am I safe? And I said to him, stand here where, where I am. And I could see he was like, what's going on here? I said to him, what do you see? And immediately he looked up and he said, ah, I see this. Now I'd never done that. I just lost my mind. Mm. And he, he went over to mm. his foreman and he said to me, okay, this is what we need to do. And the foreman took me outside. He said to me, you need to leave the site. And he said, don't come back until Monday. Now, my deadline was Tuesday. So I was like, okay. Mm. He said, Brad, just trust me. And he had picked up that something had shifted in me as well. In those, in those two minutes with Ephraim, because I've never spoken to them with that consultative approach. And I said, okay. I went, I left the site. On the Sunday, I came back with a cap and dark glasses and a big jacket so that they wouldn't recognize because they, those days I didn't wear the cap. And I was undercover because I wanted to see what was going on. I mean, I couldn't, there was too much on the line. So I trusted sort of. And um, I'll end my story now, but what happened was what I saw blew my mind. They had drop sheets. They were protected because there was furniture already. They were protecting the furniture. They had pads. They had brought in scaffolding, but they were doing it right. More right than I'd ever seen them do it before. Mm. When I arrived on Monday, the thing was perfect and the site was immaculate. And I never, ever, mm. from that day, I've never lost my temper at anybody in a, in a, in a rage the way I had I've not lost my temper at all. Only years later that I realized the Amazing. multiplying diminishing context and I owe it to Ephraim. And I, and that's what I teach about those moments Incredible. of reaction. Yeah, it was profound. So second question, Brad, having had that diminisher moment and that learning from it, if you had to change one thing about leadership nowadays, what would it be? Leaders need to create clarity. It's um, for me during COVID, that was one of the things that stood out is leaders do not uh, understand the significance of creating clarity, clarity of expectation. Where are we going? What is required of us? What is required of you? I say to so many people, you know, if you're doing your job awesomely, do you know what you're doing? Do you, have you been told when you're doing it amazingly, that's what you're doing? And this is the impact that you're having. And so many people say, no, I just know the tasks I'm mandated with. <laughs> Clarity. It empowers people. It builds trust and it removes anxiety. And then people can bring you their best thinking. So create clarity. Amazing. Final question. One leadership habit that is non-negotiable for you. Declare your non-negotiables. As a leader, I think one of the most important things we need to do is let people know what we will not mm. tolerate and then honor that. Declare the values, the non-negotiables. These are the things that we do not do here because they break their counterculture and then have the courage to stand by your word. Even if it is your top goal scorer, your number one rainmaker, if that person won't come on board, they are breaking what you're trying to build. So be clear on your non-negotiables, be incorruptible, and follow through on them. Sir, as always, a pleasure. Uh, look forward to catching up maybe in your Cape Town when you're uh, in there. And I, I'd like to see the life and like to hear the next part of the story in terms of uh, where you're going and how the business is going to be and how the work life is going to be in that context. Thank you for coming on Leadership Tales podcast, Brad. That's been such a, I mean, this time flew by. I think we'll have to do around two at some stage and talk about mountains and adventures and, and life by the ocean. That, thank you for having me. Great to chat, Colin. So that was Brad. Amazing conversation. A couple of things that really resonate 
to me. One is this staying awake piece from the consciousness coaching. Uh, it is something that I'm aware of in myself, my meditation, my daily practices, is this ability to stay present, stay aware of the voices that are in our heads, and therefore some of the habits that get in the way of relationships or get in the way of being a good business leader uh, that, that come in there. So that staying awake piece uh, is critical. I think the second bit for me is about the experience point and therefore the design thinking, the experimentation and being intentional about the non-cyclical uh, role. And I think a lot of us are, are getting to the point where our life becomes routine with work, with Zoom calls and this non-cyclical freshness that you can start to build into your life is important. And again, when people say, I can't, I'm forced by meetings, it is amazing how you can start to shift some of those habits, whether it's the length of meetings, the number of meetings, the places of meetings, shifting them into the, the channels you have them are so important for us to keep our mind and our, our lives fresh. And then I think there's the life balance, not work-life balance, but this life balance and about the choices. And again, Brad's choice to move to Cape Town and to start to work in much more of a lockup, turn the key apartment, make a move, go off, go explore, be close with the WeWorks work uh, and the space that he goes to, to be closer to clients. And then the choices of the other places where he does his work. And again, it's just a refresher and reminder about how we can we can start to think about our, our life balance and how we can enhance our energy and our life balance through that. So great conversation. Thank you to Brad. And I look forward to welcome you on another episode of the Leadership Tales podcast very shortly.